Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee, and today I am talking to Rihanna Pratchett. And we're going to be talking about all women in games, uh, gender representation in games, and what it's like working in games. And, and honestly, like, how the hell you go about writing a video game in the first place? So, Rihanna, why don't you just give us a brief introduction? Uh, okay, I'm Rihanna Pratchett. Um, I'm a, a writer predominantly in games. I also work in, in film, TV and comics. And you're talking to me today because I am a woman in games. And I have been play- working in the industry for oh, something like 16 years now. Even more than that, if you take into uh, account my, my career as a journalist. So I started as a games journalist and I've been playing games since about six years old. So I'm, I'm basically all over games. That is a good way to be. <laughs> so it just seems like games, you know, there's there's so much to take into account. You know, like I write stories, you know, prose, and there's a lot to keep in, in your brain at that point. But with games, you've got, you know, how the game, like the gameplay, you've got how an audience may interact with it that you might not expect. Like, how do you go about writing for that kind of thing? Um, well, it, it really differs between um, genre to genre and studio to studio. There's no set way of writing for a game that there might be um, for writing for a movie. Because writing for a movie, you know, you have screenplay software like Fade In or Final Draft. You know that your screenplay, if it's a sort of feature length screenplay, is going to be between sort of 90 to 120 pages roughly. And you know that sort of one page is going to equal about one minute of screen time. So there's sort of the kind of vague rules for the structure of the game um and obviously the different genres of games need different um kinds of stories so uh, the kind of story and the delivery you need for say a rts game is very different from um say an action adventure game like the likes of tomb raider for example that's very cinematic um so that it needs you know much more um uh, layered storytelling. Sorry, my cat is just <laughs> climbing next to me, so she, she might she might add in the occasional squeak. Um, well, that's that's all right. We like guest stars. That's that's fine. <laughs> so um, I, I work freelance. So that means I go and work with um, individual developers, and um, I usually come in maybe a year into the development of the game. So yeah, so I, I work with developers developing that whatever they've got with their with their story at, at the time so it could be it could be a, a kind of a backstory they might have their mechanics worked out they might have some of the levels designed they might have some visuals for, for the characters um it, it really depends um when i first started out, out in the industry writers was considered a sort of mad luxury and they they were rarely used or professional writers were rarely used um and if they were they were usually kind of slotted in towards the end of development when, when they basically had to provide a narrative wrapper around whatever gameplay had been designed with no narrative in mind. Um, and <laughs> no. it's what I like called being a narrative paramedic. Like you were, you were drafted <laughs> in the end to try and, and kind of revive the, the dying story. And kind of over the last decade and a half, writers have started becoming much more important to the, the game development process alongside narrative designers and cinematic directors and so writers are being used a bit earlier. Um, and, you know, that, that helps them kind of build the world and use the mechanics and the level design to help um, tell the story, basically. And so it, it is all changing. And obviously, if you're working for a little indie game, what you can do with the narrative is going to be different from a much bigger game. So it is it really changes from project to project. There's never there's never one set way. I mean, I guess you can say what, what writers do is ideally work closely with the design team to um, kind of dovetail narrative and story together and, and make each one support the other. And I guess that that's what the commonality of, of game writing, I guess. So, I mean, you know, you gave the example of script writing. So um, in script writing, you know, there's, there's kind of that fine line to walk between giving too much away in the writing that you step on the director's toes and you know that kind of thing so when you're writing for a game like how do you go about keeping everyone happy I know that sounds you know but obviously you need to work with these people and you need to get it Mm. done but if you're trying to get something done that maybe the gameplay doesn't quite allow for yet like how do you navigate that kind of situation 
But you just have to talk to people. Really. I mean, there, there will always be fights between gameplay and narrative because the needs of gameplay can be very different from the needs of narrative. For I'll, I'll give you an example. In, in Tomb Raider, when we were sort of coming together for the sequence for, for Lara's first human kill, and, and she, she has her first human kill and she rank, reacts very badly to it and, and she sort of, you know, th- um, I think kind of almost throws away the gun and is kind of retching and, and she has a very human reaction to it. And mm-hmm. then kind of picks up the gun and then go pr- um, promptly goes off and shoots loads of other people. And um, that was, wasn't what narrative wanted. Narrative wanted there to be a kind of slow ramp up between yep. Lara taking a life and Lara, you know, realising that that's the only way she's going to get through. But we lost the gameplay because gameplay were like, well, we've given the player a gun. And, like, the playtesters were going, well, we've got a gun. We, we want things to shoot with it now. And, you know, narrative were like, but it, it, it's kind of breaking this character kind of moment. You're making her feel really bad about it. And she's just going on and doing it a few, a few more seconds later. Um, and, you know, we fought against it and we lost. Because, you know, gameplay wanted more gun-based gameplay. And we've gone quite a long time without having a gun in the game. And, and you know, the game is primarily, it's a kind of, a, you know, it's an action-adventure shooter, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've gone a long time without having a gun in it. And we'd had, you know, we had a, a sequence at the start where you have no weapons at all. And then the first weapon you get is a bow and arrow. So we've kind of been quite strict with the player and the kind of weapons they had and, and I guess when they got the gun they wanted to kind of cut loose with it <laughs> and I still think that you know hindsight is twenty twenty, obviously and we narrative knew we would get ding for it and we got ding for it um and I think like if if maybe there had been more time or there was kind of more support then um we could have we could have found a way to do something that maybe um, served both sides better. So whether she she kind of threw the gun off the cliff, and, and as a player you wouldn't, you, you, you maybe be annoyed, but it, it would feel right for the character. Like she's had this mm. reaction. That's obviously what she'd do. And then maybe have another little bit of gameplay where she hasn't got a weapon and she has to kind of puzzle her way through enemies for a bit until like she she's forced to pick up a weapon again. Otherwise she's going to die. Yeah. Um, and it, it would kind of be I. Repeating the same kind of moment, but it, I kind of in a different way. So it, w- it wouldn't be this kind of one-on-one kind of fight to the death that she had with the with the first human kill. But I think if we could find another way that she was going to have to pick up a gun again and do it, and, and she'd yes, but she'd with the knowledge herself up to it yeah, and, and yeah. Um, that's probably what I I would have done had I have had. You know, th- things have been different, and obviously, I'm I'm just a freelance writer, so I was kind of drafted in to try and keep people happy. Yeah, and I don't have the kind of hard power on the team to go, okay, we're doing it, we are doing it this way, and, and what I say goes. I don't have that kind of of hard power, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, you've said like you know, obviously, it's, everything's different uh, with every type of game you come to, and you know, is is that the hardest thing about writing for games, or is there is there something that you find particularly hard about it? Um, there are lots of <laughs> games actually. It's hard to say which is the wor- uh, which is the hardest. Yeah, I, I guess um, kind of marrying gameplay and narrative is probably the ho- one of the hardest challenges, and that that's that predominant uh, that that's predominantly through the whole of games writing. Whether you're writing for a an indie game, a triple A game, a, you know, a shooter, an RTS, or an adventure game, it's, it's all you're coming up against that same same challenge with, with all of them um but you know you're also working for um an entertainment industry that, that hasn't traditionally put story first mm-hmm. um yeah. at least not uh, not industry-wide obviously there are some genres where where story is much more essential to to the game um adventure games and role-playing games for example yes but yeah. my life, story wasn't put first and story wasn't really done by writers it was just done by you know, whoever fancied a go or had the time to do it. it. It was one of the parts of game development wasn't done by a professional writer. And so kind of professional writers coming in, there's still this sort of fallout from those days where it kind of feels like, well, why are they getting a writer? You know, there's some some people think, why are they getting a writer in? And, you know, anyone can do the writing. And there's <laughs> that kind of fallout of, of kind of 
you know, writing's a luxury and anyone could do it because, you know, anyone can write words, so anyone can write a story. And so mm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of coming in at a bit, a bit of a disadvantage anyway. Obviously, that, that changes from studio to studio and obviously a narrative of, has become more important to the industry as a whole, I think. Um, so you've got that kind of, you know, challenging attitude that, that some people you might um, come across have that, yeah, they don't really care about story. They don't think story is important to games. And, you know, we, we're, the games industry is not a particularly narrative lit, um, literate industry when it comes to, um, a, as a whole. And that, that's not, you know, we do a lot of things very well, but we've not used to, we're not used to kind of, you know, strong storytelling all the way across the industry and throughout the different disciplines that make a game through, you know, art and um, level design and mechanics and things like that. And we're, we're gradually all having to learn to be better storytellers because, you know, I believe everything supports the story, the art, the animation, the music, the level design, the mechanics, they all um, flow into the story and support it. So the more, you know, a team knows about storytelling and how to support a story, and the more the writers and the narrative designers understand how story can support gameplay and how story can inform gameplay, um, you know, the better... Uh, you know the, the game experiences are going to be working as a, a freelancer you're kind of coming onto projects that are already in development they already exist are there any games that you kind of wanted just to do from scratch that you have these ideas for that you'd love to see happen or be able to do um i don't know really not weirdly not so much in games probably more more kind of in in movies and, and tv and things like that uh, which is weird because I've worked so long in games, but because I'm so used to the mindset of going in and helping fix other people's problems, <laughs> uh, um, I'm kind of like, I'm always dealing with the the kind of problem ahead. And I have a really healthy respect for, you know, you know designers and programmers. And I kind of know that I couldn't do what they do. Mm. I, can, I can do design. I can do design to a certain level and I can do narrative design. Um, and I can come up with ideas and I can come up with ideas narrative ideas will uh, inform mechanics and things like that and I can do bits and pieces of that and to be a writer in games you have to really understand gameplay and and design and how you know narrative folds into that and informs that um but I don't I don't have really have any sort of burning game ideas <laughs> um you know I, I kind of you know I like going in and helping helping other people out with things and, and trying to find my voice within their worlds but no, there's that. I mean, I kind of get little ideas on the projects, but because I know I am not, you know, I, I'm not pro, programmer literate. I can't build a game, mm. and I and I know I should try. I, I you know I kind of casually flirt with the idea of learning Unity or something like that. But I don't. I know. I know. I know. I don't know how to build a game, and so I. But I do know. I know how to write a movie. So it's kind of. I. But I know. I don't know how to make one. So I. It's. I know I'd have to like learn a lot to be mm. able to make a game. I mean, I could do something in Twine and, and stuff like that, but that doesn't that doesn't really appeal to me because I, I enjoy what I particularly enjoy about the games is how visual the medium is. Yes. So I don't really have any kind of burning um, game ideas. I might if I actually started um, kind of learning learning some software. But yeah, I, I like going in and finding my my voice within within worlds and, and kind of shaping it to, to kind of some of my sensibilities or tastes or, or things like that. Okay. I mean, that comes quite nicely to things like Tomb Raider, where you came on into a really well-established piece, you know, gaming, and, you know, you, you kind of took it into new places. I mean, was that something that they were already looking to sort of really change up for the reboot of Tomb Raider, or was that something that you brought to the table? How did you approach like coming to something so iconic as Tomb Raider? Um, it was half and half, really. I mean, they had some ideas, I had some ideas, and they really sort of gelled together from the the start, which was very nice. And um, I think I was very focused on the idea that she that maybe the kind of playgirl adventurer jetting all over the world who had all the money. Um, and gadgets and guns and witty one-liners to deal with everything was maybe not particularly relatable. I mean, it's always been good fantasy, but mm. um, 
you know, we we our our heroes tend to be a little more grounded these days. And I thought, okay, well, let's try and make her. Well, I knew we were dealing with a young Lara. Let's try and make her at least from the start like a young girl you can meet at university, you know, at, at any given university. And and then let's take it from there. Let's let's give her a human grounding. Yeah, let's have her going to university. Let's have her working jobs in the spare time. Let's have her having a kind of a flatmate and, um, you know, just dealing with life in, in the way kind of, you know, 18, 20, well, she, she's 21 in the game, but how, how kind of young women deal, deal with life every day. And let's start from that and then build her up from that. And that's not to say that she doesn't have the same kind of abilities uh, and personality traits that, that, kind of classic Lara did that kind of bravery tenacity resourcefulness etc but we sort of wound them back so they're sort of just starting to bubble to the surface in the game she's, she's never truly been tested in in the outside world and you know she's just out fresh out of university she's on her first sort of big adventure you know she's got some experience of of kind of survival you know survival training but on a very sort of soft and basic level with her mentor she's done she's done some archery but not obviously shooting living things mm-hmm. um so that's all kind of new to her and that's what she used to has to learn in the game so giving her that that human grounding and friends and things like that that was that was kind of important for me the game was very well received generally critically but you know let's face it the you know the original lara as uh pixelated as she was was she was a sex symbol and I felt like in the reboot she was more of a realistic woman in in not just uh her personality but in her physical build I mean was was any part of that did you get pushback from hardcore fans or anything like that um I mean I think there was there was some pushback from those that that sort of particularly liked the kind of devil may care attitude of previous Lara and there's a lot that was fun about her and even though you know she did become a sex symbol I think there was a lot more to her I think perhaps the marketing of the old games really didn't help <laughs> yeah because they just focused on what she looked like and and that sort of you know it's obviously a very iconic look you know it's it's um my mum knows who Lara Croft is. Like, if you say Lara Croft, you get an image in your in your head. That's yep. how kind of powerful, she, you know, she she was and, and became. So I think there was a lot, a lot that was good at, about her, and, and I think that you know some fans weren't weren't so keen on on sort of us sh- showing her in a more vulnerable place, being and being kind of challenged, being scared, asking for help, that kind of thing. And you know, they they enjoyed the you know the guns and gadgets and witty one liners. And it was, I think it was a more, had a more serious tone to it. And, you know, although there's definitely a big part of me that would have liked to have done the kind of witty one-liners and, and put more humour into it. Crystal were very keen that they wanted to sort of keep her kind of more grounded and, and serious and, and that too much humour from Lara. You know, there could be an odd wry comment, um, but uh, too much humour from her would suggest confidence, which she doesn't really have. Yes, not time. yet, yeah sequels maybe <laughs> um, yeah um but by and large the, the fans were very supportive and i think we, we gained quite a lot of new ones as well so let's um talk a bit about the industry so you know in terms of being a woman in a industry that is quite heavily masculine in terms of representation in the development side as well as who they're marketing to um you know how have you f- Come, have you come up against any sort of issues in that respect, or you know, and has it changed in the last uh, sixteen years that you've been doing it? Um, I mean, it, it's sometimes difficult to um, to perceive, really, because I have an unusual type of role in that I'm parachuted into projects, so mm. I don't have the experience of team culture that you know someone working within a studio full time would have. So I see lots of studios, but I don't see them in depth in the way that you know you would if you're in house. Um, I haven't had too too uh, too much of a problem really when it comes to kind of sexism and being treated differently or otherly because I'm female. Um, now that might be you know part of 
kind of who I am and maybe I don't kind of notice that sort of thing or certainly didn't in the start because I was always into um a lot of things that that guys were into because I didn't have any uh brothers and sisters and so I just looked at what my dad was doing and that seemed interesting and fun and I I always went and did things that seemed interested and interesting and fun whether it was like kind of martial arts um or, or laser tag or something like that and you know, I just I just went with what was interesting, and I I never let anyone say what I couldn't couldn't do because of my gender, and and I think not having a brother or sister helped with that. But you know, there's there's kind of been little bits and pieces and kind of odd comments, but I'm I deal with such a lot in terms of people's perception of narrative and disrespect for narrative mm. that it's almost like. It's one to fight below. Like, I'm so busy fighting on the narrative battleground. I've just not got time for, for kind of sexism on top of that. And it's sort of like, I can, I, I like, either people don't, either I don't notice or don't care, or people are just too busy sort of fighting with narratives to kind of worry about mm. um, my gender, I think. Uh, and, you know, I, I had a, I have um you know a, a lot of experience in the industry and I, I started as a journalist and I worked my way up and so I, I think I've gained and you know a level of respect for having done that in that I'm you know people know that I'm not a fly-by-night when it comes to, to games so you know I've been in the games industry for a long time and you know it, it's <laughs> I more or less know what I'm talking about and so that that is helpful and and the the, the games I've got to work on and um you know, everything I've done has, has kind of helped, you know, but, you know, bolster my reputation and therefore, mm. I guess, you know, how seriously I'm taken when I come into to work on a development team. And I mean, you have worked on some action adventure games like Tomb Raider, Mirror's Edge, where you've got the, the main female protagonist as well, um, which is interesting. I mean, have you had any narrative battles to fight which might be against any kind of gender stereotyping or anything? I mean, I've been quite lucky with the with the teams I've worked with. Uh, I've had many that I, I think if they did, they were kind of they're sort of lost in the um, all the kind of mini battles that you have during development anyway. So there's nothing mm. there's nothing that really stands out. I mean, even with marketing with the new Tomb Raider, like I have been quite anti the marketing of the old Tomb Raider. Um, because it, it just it put me off when I was a gamer, and I, I'm you know, I'm I'm just talking from my own personal experience, but yeah. I didn't like the way she was marketed, and that put me off. And it, like I'll I'll say that, and people have got oh well, no, she's this way because Rihanna Pratchett didn't like the way she was marketed. It was like no, it's just coincidence that she's like she's not marketed that way now because you know the world has moved on and they're treating her like a serious <laughs> character, not just a, you know a collection of body parts. But that, you know, it's coincidence. And, you know, I, I love the, the look of um, the rebooted Lara and I love the way she was marketed and it wasn't gendered marketing. And that was that was sort of very important to me. And, um, you know, the, the team that Crystal took Lara seriously as a character. Um, and, um, you yeah, know, but they still kind of gave, gave me space to explore perhaps some of the more feminine aspects of Laura. So her, her friendships with, with kind of other female characters as well, particularly Sam, um, you know, I could explore that more a little bit in the game where I, where I got a chance to, and, and even more in the comics and, you know, relationships between women have actually been, been uh, quite um, predominant through the, the games I've, I've worked on with female protagonists and, and particularly sort of sisterly relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even though I do not have a sister, but in in Heavenly Sword, you had a female protagonist, and you had a female secondary character that you also got to play as, and their relationship was very important, and the driving force for for the protagonist character. Likewise, in Mirror's Edge, you had you had two sisters, um, and the you know helping your sister was uh, the driving force of of um, Faith's kind of mission throughout the game, and, and in Tomb Raider, obviously, sort of. Um, getting Sam back is is very important to Lara as well as sort of rescuing other people, but she she's you know very important to to Lara. So I've been allowed to do not only female protagonists but also female relationships as well, which is which is pretty good going. So it's meant that everyone has 
passed, at least those three have passed the Bechdel test. <laughs> I mean, so there is kind of that perception of, you know, that gamers are predominantly male, despite loads of surveys and things showing us that women love to game almost as much as men. Yeah. Do you think that we're getting more games which are, you know, taking that on board and trying to broaden their market? Or are we still seeing the same sorts of problems with, you know, the games like, you know, original Tomb Raider marketed in that very, you know, to the male gaze? Um, I, don't, I don't, I haven't really seen that for a long time, actually. I think the industry is sort of growing up in that regard. And I think we're much more, we're much less gendered with, with the way that games are marketed. And we're also diversifying the type of games that are out there, especially with, with the, the indie scene flourishing in the way it has in the, the last five to, to eight years. You know, the the, the, the the kind of breadth and depth of games has, has increased exponentially, I think. And that's brought new audiences in. You know, just now on, on my kind of uh, PS3, just looking at some of the, the, the variety of games that I've got on there. So I've got you know virginia oxen free inside mafia three never um don't starve uh, which i love the last of us remastered mm-hmm. um, far cry three um yeah and that's just the sort of selection of them so like very very diverse selection just from from those that are on my kind of main screen and yeah i mean i i've I've always liked a variety of games, and I, I'm pretty sure that you know I, I've met so many women that feel the same way. I think they don't. Um, I don't want. I don't want to generalise really, but I guess that um, maybe women aren't quite as vocal as male players sometimes. But equally, you could get very vocal female players, and I, mm-hmm. and I know that from working in Tomb Raider because they had a lot of vocal female players, a lot of vocal male players as well. Um, we've got a lot more female journalists now in the industry. So when I was started out as a journalist, there were you know, I was uh, at times the only one, and then maybe there was a couple of us. And now you've got some some great um, female journalistic voices out there, uh, and I think that's very important. But yeah, the industry does it does feel like it's growing up uh, a little bit. Um, I think we've had a, a bit of a a trying adolescence, um, and now we're sort of we're we're kind of you know find, finding our feet and kind of embracing diversity in all its different forms and when we first started talking about diversity it used to be women put a woman on it put a woman on it that's that's diversity tick and it's like we're starting to realize that actually it's not it's about diversity of ideas um ethnicity sexual orientation age ability etc and and behind the scenes as well as in the game themselves um, and we we are kind of starting to realise that and the benefits of that and, and and kind of you know moving slowly towards embracing it. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about you know how we have so a lot of the games you know the AAA games where it's kind of you know they spend so much money on them. Um, you know these big blockbuster games have kind of blown out of all proportion. Um, much bigger budgets than films and all this kind of thing. I mean, do you, how do you see the industry moving forwards in terms of, you know, indie games and very auteur games as opposed to these massive Halo and all these kind of things that kind of get all the marketing and all this you know massive build up to? I mean, I think we'll still keep seeing that. It's like the movie industry. So your AAA games are like your, you know, your blockbuster studio pictures. Um, and then your your kind of indie games are kind of your, your like the smaller ones that kind of get a cult following or something like that. Um, I think what we will see more of is is the middle ground starting to flourish again, mm-hmm. um, because the the kind of the triple A games, the the kind of big blockbusters, you know, they can get the the best tech, the best acting talent, the best kind of performance capture, everything like that, um, uh, and sort of top tier writers and directors and narrative designers and you know actors and everyone else um and with the indie development they're they, they're not going to get anywhere near the budget but they have you know, they can be more daring they can kind of be more creative and you know it's and sometimes more imaginative they can take more risks than um the, the kind of big games have because they're not 
having to support big teams and not having to justify themselves to shareholders. And I think <clears throat> hopefully the, the, the kind of middle ground of games that, that kind of take the best of both worlds are going to start flourishing more. When I was, you know, when I was in journalism, there was a healthy middle ground of games, and that sort of died out. And and but as budgets kind of increased, and then the mm. UBC helped sort of reinvigorate the other end of it. So I hope we're going to see more um, kind of mid mid level games. I mean, I think the Telltale games are probably there. Yep. And you know, maybe and 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 the kind of bigger indie stuff. So so maybe. Um, I guess stuff like Firewatch maybe or everybody's gone to the Rapture, that's, that sort of thing. So it's kind of occupy, starting to occupy a, a more of a middle ground level that they're not as, um, you know, kind of smaller something like um, Virginia or Thomas Was Alone. So they're getting kind of bigger budgets, but they're still being able to you know, bring new ideas to the table. Hmm. So I, I still think, yeah, I think we're going to, a lot of, inspiration imagination is going to come from the indie scene as it's, as it's doing now and i think that's going to start you know filtering in into the the kind of big big boy's backyard as well <laughs> we're going to starting to see you know even more female protagonists i think which which tomb raider in 2013 i think really helped because it showed that you know yes gamers will buy a a um a game with a an action game with a female protagonist and yes if she can appeal to male and female gamers and yes she, you know they can it can sell well and i think that helped embolden publishing developers to, to kind of take more risk with female characters you know and we, we've seen stories in the past um where publishers have refused to publish a game because it had a female uh, protagonist um particularly and most famously um remember me uh, by by don't nod um which had a, a female mixed race protagonist and then when they were talking about how difficult it was to get the game published they said that they were turned down in some cases for having a female protagonist i'm not sure that would happen these days or it would it would feel like w- really weird and archaic for, for that to... yes we'd hope it wouldn't happen nowadays yeah. <laughs> um but i mean okay so let's Let's uh, brush on the subject of, of Gamergate and some of the, the kind of negative uh, community feeling about female game developers, female characters in games, you know, that, that kind of ongoing kind of the, where <laughs> I'm trying to put it in a, a, a nice way <laughs> so as not to be too... Uh, <laughs> antagonize it but you know where um some male gamers feel like women are in- encroaching on their space and taking something away from this thing that they love um you know like how how are we gonna work with games and trying to get games to kind of move forward with representation while trying to to help those people get over it basically <laughs> That's a big question. I think yeah, <laughs> like I, I think the industry is, is kind of does. There's large sections in the industry that do want to support diversity and, and representation, and I think that the game developers themselves are um, quite savvy about that that sort of thing, and and starting to become more so. Um, publishers, I think, sometimes take a little longer, but I think developers themselves are interested in in diversity because it it can. You know, bring different stories and, and different experiences, and you know that that can be uh, you know really interesting from kind of a originality angle and perspective, and and things like you know Ma- Mafia Three, for example. I know that has some problems in the gameplay, but by all accounts, you know it it has a very strong uh, story. It has some very interesting characters. It has a um, a black protagonist and it was also the same year we had we got a black protagonist in, in Watch Dogs 2 and that was fairly unprecedented as well uh, so that's that's kind of really interesting to see but yeah I, I kind of felt from the industry point of view we were sort of like well you know <laughs> there are already quite a few women working in games okay that yeah that by and large not as many as men it's the same with the film industry or TV mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of following along the same path but you know I think Obviously, studios differ from studio to studio how kind of welcoming and inclusive they are and um, how much they support their, their kind of female developers and, and kind of work-life balance as well for both female and male developers. 
I so I think the industry was maybe a little bit perplexed about what the fuss was about. Um, because yeah, we, we were in, you know, I'd say the industry by and large is interested in diversity, but like diversity in a very wide spectrum. So not yes. just about, you know, it, the, the kind of everything I've talked about, I think it, it, it is interested in that. And it's, it's well aware that women play games as well aware that women can be developers, you know, artists, producers, designers, programmers at, at every level of game development. We're kind of well aware and, you know, there's definitely uh, you know, I'm speaking for a whole industry here, but um, yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm aware that you know, there's there's definitely more we can do, but I think we're sort of surprised that there was this this kind of fuss about it. It was like, well, just because we have you know little little indie games telling kind of more personal, diverse stories, that doesn't stop there ever being the big blockbusters. It, it's sort of you know just because there's Endless Sunshine and the Spotless Mind does not mean that there can't be an Avengers movie. It's like it's not they're not taking away from each other. Like everything can kind of coexist and, you know, should do. And that just makes the industry more more interesting and diverse. But it was this this kind of idea that we that, that you know, women or, or whatever or, or people that supported diversity was were taking things away was was just like kind of ludicrous it's like no we're adding things you know you're still gonna get the games you want no one's no, no one's taking those away um but you you know everyone should be able to kind of have a game they want not just you and yeah so i think yeah there is definitely i think a little bit perplexed from the industry and and you know possibly it didn't react fast enough um when, when that happened and i, I, mm-hmm. I think maybe the industry thought it would kind of blow over quite quickly, uh, but but it kind of didn't. But there was there was kind of a lot of surprise. I mean, certainly from a writer's perspective, I think writers by and large tend to be very interested in diversity because it, you know, talking about perspectives and viewpoints. Yeah, and um, it makes some more interesting stories. Yeah, that's, that's sort of what we do. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's it's very it was very kind of upsetting to see um, female developers and, and journalists sort of. Um, you know, trolled and, and kind of set upon, um, you know, for, for the kind of mildest of comments, really, and, and to see kind of, um, you know, witch hunts start up was, was, you know, very, you know, upsetting to see. And, you know, I've had, even though I kind of, I wasn't really caught up in, in Gamergate, I definitely had seen, you know, nasty threads in forums, you know, dedicating to, uh, to trashing every aspect of me. So I think it's probably touched every every female developer in in some way. I mean, we're all very aware of it and we probably all, at some point in our career, got abuse from someone in the online world. If we have any kind of public presence, and I think when you, when you sort of put your head above the trenches... You're kind of gonna gonna get shot at because you know the internet can be a bit of a wild west, really. So mm-hmm. you know it, it's, it kind of comes with the territory. It's not it's not right that it does, and I don't know how to how it can be stopped, but um, it, it it does, and you kind of have to find a way to to kind of deal with it. And you know I have a lot of respect for women in the industry that have a, a kind of strong public presence because that that always comes with its share of with of uh, abuse and harassment mm. there's been this saints row outing which uh has a sliding scale of gender mm. and um it's it's quite a nice way to include non-binary or even sort of general gender neutral i mean do you think there are other opportunities in gameplay and game writing to sort of include more non-binary gendered characters um i yeah i mean i think we could just put them in (laughs) you know in the games i mean i think it's like it's great for when you're actually kind of customizing your character to kind of put that in but the impression I get from from talking to people in that community is they just like to see developers making those decisions to put those kind of characters in, yes. and not sort of just putting not just putting it down for players to make those decisions, but for developers to make those decisions, saying that hey, these are interesting and important characters that we'd like to be part of our world, rather than saying oh well, you can do this if you want. Not that's not important, but I think they would like to see maybe less ambiguity about things uh you know as well as choice i think they would like to see more 
LGBTQ characters in, in games as characters, as you know, they are in Orange is the New Black or, or whatever. They just they, they, I think they just like them to be there to be yes, there. yes. Um, and so that's probably I think what the games industry could could do do better. And you know, I think we're we're, we're slowly moving towards it. All right, let's just. Um, what about just some of your favourite games that are out at the moment? Like, what what are you seeing in games that you're loving in terms of storytelling and narrative? Uh, what would you love to see more of? Ooh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, it, there's interesting. There's been a few games that have been t- storytelling with with no um, with no dialogue and very or, or very and very little text. So Virginia and, and Inside are, are two. Um, that are kind of very interesting, and obviously inside one that the game's BAFTA um, recently. So I think that that's interesting, and I don't think that actually means that kind of narrative people can't be involved because there is still a narrative there. It's just not a, a kind of one that's done with dialogue. And I think you know pressing against those kind of traditional ways of telling story. I think that's all about you know that's what games should be about or no that that that's not that's probably not true that's what like games can be about like mm-hmm. there should be there probably should be no should um because you know i i enjoy a, a kind of cinematic experience uh, as much as i enjoy something which has no cutscenes in like uh, you know i'll play the last of us remastered i'll play don't starve which has no discernible story whatsoever um apart from being plonked in a world and trying to survive and so the how I take my story is very different. Like it's, you know, I have games that have no story. I have games that have a lot of story. I have games that have a bit of story. Um, I, I kind of play throughout and I can, you know, they appeal to it. And, you know, I'm different moods and things like that. And they, they all have, they all have a place. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with VR and how kind of our storytelling will evolve with that. Um, I think there's a big fascination with VR at the moment, um, and there's still. I think we're still in a bit of a teething um, process with it at the moment, as we kind of trying to work out all the kinks and the tech and stopping people throwing up and and, and kind of working out how to move uh, players through that world and and properly engage them with it. Um, I think there are a lot of you know challenges and, and things happening there. So I think that's that's kind of quite exciting I, lo- I love all the stuff that comes out of the indie scene there's, there's so many sort of great ideas that come up through that i would love to see more you know personal stories in games like that that dragon cancer for example which also won a bafta um i think you know using the medium to tell personal and important stories and putting the audiences in in kind of uncomfortable positions but but kind of giving them a glimpse into a life and a situation that they've they would never experience elsewhere um i think that's all about kind of what games can you know can be about and we were sort of we're we're now sort of we used to be sort of scratching the surface of, of the kind of power of games i think we're starting starting to get down a little bit closer to the meat now um and you know i love how diverse the industry is is becoming um in in terms of the kind of indie scene that we're growing that into the middle ground we've got some great things coming out of triple a as well it, it feels like a, a really good time for games um, and it seems like we're, we're kind of moving moving in the right direction um so there's there's kind of no one thing yeah but kind of and i do i do like the way that the industry is starting to to kind of embrace writers and, and embrace narrative and um not not just writers but narrative designers and, and cinematographers and, and storyboard artists and you know, we, we're kind of growing our own writers, we're growing our own actors, we're, we're, we're taking it all much more seriously. And that's, you know, that's happened in my industry lifetime, mm. um, which is which is really good to see. Yeah, I mean, for me, so I was never, I was one of those kids who, you know, my parents were like, no, you can't play video games, you've got to be, you know, out in the, you know, <laughs> exercising or doing that kind of stuff. And so I didn't really get exposed to video games when I was a kid. So I have this kind of, problem in terms of you know I'm not very good with my coordination I can't really use (laughs) the game pads and I'm just completely uncoordinated um but I love the the storytelling aspects of the the more interesting games and I actually I'm I'm I don't know how if this makes me weird or but I love 
watching people play. I love sitting sure, yeah. with people and who can actually, you know, navigate a world without just constantly falling off a ledge because <laughs> that is me all over. Um, <laughs> but so for me, I really love that a lot more of the the games that are coming out now that I'm seeing are a lot more story driven because then mm. it is something that I can really enjoy with someone else while I sit and watch them play and and talk about what their decisions they're making in game, etc. Even though I can't really get a hold of the <sighs> yeah the gamepad. Um, I love my real time strategy games. I love a bit of Civ, and I, I admit that I still go back to Age of Empires two, which was brilliant. Oh, I go back to Age of Empires. Um, uh, well, Age of Mythology. I love Age of Mythology. I, I still play that online. Like, I was I was kind of really worried because. I, I was used to be obsessed with Asian mythology, uh, and I it was back when it was still on disc. Yeah, and was, I have, many... I still have my disc. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't anymore for for this reason. In that, I used to the only one that would would work with on start on some old studios online as it was at the time. It ended up being like the uh, like the treasure trove, whatever edition of Asian mythology, and I would sort of play that online. I would get obsessed with it and. I'd break the disc to free myself. And then I like six months later I'd be like, I can handle it <laughs> on onto Amazon or eBay or whatever to try to get a, like the right edition of Age of Mythology so I could play it. Um and, and I probably did that about four or five times <laughs> and, until there were sort of pieces of broken Age of Mythology disc embedded in the walls of my study. Uh and then I found that now in in the kind of age of steam i I downloaded that online um and now i was like oh god i'm not gonna i'm gonna am i gonna have to how is that gonna i'm gonna have to gonna break my pc (laughs) but actually it was all right um other i i kind of got a terrible bug in it at one point where i my ranking jumped by 1.8 billion points Wow. And I couldn't get I couldn't get a game with anyone, and I had to you know, like, don't do this very often, but pull some industry strings and get and get to a friend who worked at Microsoft who could get a message to the developers to reset my my um, score so I could actually play games with people. Which they it took about two weeks, but eventually they did it. Um, but I seem to be okay. But I'm only okay if I can get myself obsessed with another game. That, so I have to I have to kind of lure myself off one game by with another game, um, yeah. So that's so I become temporarily obsessed with the game and, and, and play it like a, a huge amount. And um, but yeah, Age of Mythology. I, I was really into strategy games actually. I, I um, like the the first June, which not many people remember because it was a weird sort of turn based strategy. But you got to mm-hmm. you got to ride um, sandworms. In the first June, uh, which was done by Cryo, I think, and then June two, and obviously the Westwood games were, were really great, and um, they were really fun for character as well. Actually, they're <laughs> kind of cheesy, but they they kind of made it work. The the kind of Red Alert games um, were really good fun. Uh, so I've got a big love of strategy games as well. So uh, you, you're making me kind of want to fire up Age of Mythology. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, you're not going to get anything <laughs> done right. now for I the next to, month. Like, <laughs> I am always frequently being torn by games. So I, I just started playing Don't Starve Shipwrecked again on my PS4, but at the same time, also slightly obsessed with um, Elder Scrolls Legends on on um, my iPad because. I was really, I was really quite into Hearthstone, and then I sort of left. I probably got obsessed with something else for a while, and when I came back, it was all new, and 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 there'd been lots of updates, and I didn't know anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elder Scrolls Legend is like works like Hearthstone, except it's newer, so I could get kind of used to it. So I got obsessed with that, and then I've got Age of Mythology on my PC, so I've got kind of all my different um, gaming platforms as something I'm obsessed with them on. So, um, are there any uh, projects you're working on now that you're allowed to talk about us, uh, talk about to us, <laughs> or uh, anything? I mean, it's, it's only really uh, there's a little indie game I'm working on called. Well, at the moment it's called Lost Words, um, and that's still sort of fairly early days yet, and it, it takes place um, partially within within the, the pages of um, a young girl's journal and also in in a kind of fantasy world of her own creation so it's it's all about kind of the intersection between grief and memory and she's a girl that's going through 
the the seven stages of grief um, with the, the uh, her grandmother who who gets sick and, and dies, um, and it's about her experiences dealing with that in the real world in the, in the diary, and you sort of you kind of actually walk along her words in the diary, and you kind of you can solve puzzles using the words, and the words themselves become like you know platform puzzlers and things like that and you can use the doodles as well you can jump on the doodles or use a doodle on a doodle and and things like that and then you've got this fantasy world that she goes into because she's sort of trying to write this story for her grandmother before her grandmother dies and the the story is is sort of affected by what she's going through in the real world so the the levels are kind of themed around that the seven stages of grief um and her, her kind of journey through them and how that kind of affects her uh, so that that's a really interesting one I'm working on, um, and and kind of everything else at the moment I'm doing lots of sort of film and, and TV projects, which is which have been great for sort of strengthening my myself as a writer, really. Fantastic. Well, thank you very very much for talking to me today. You're very welcome. It's been wonderful. I'm going to go and fire up Agent Mythology. Somehow I knew you would do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not playing it for a while. Oh, I'm, I'm being so torn because, like, I, I can see Don't Starve Shipwrecked. It's just waiting for me to go back on on my PS4. But it, it, it's one of those games where it, it doesn't seem to have any definite end, which is, is kind of a bit difficult because I can sort of lose myself in it. And it's very calming. If you've never played Don't Starve Shipwrecked, you might yeah, like that. Not. It has a sort of a – it's got a strategy element in it. So Don't okay. Starve Shipwrecked. I don't work for the developers. This isn't paid for this endorsement. But um, yeah, I think you know I would recommend that one. Do I have to aim though? Because if I have to aim, I'm out. Because I just no. no, (laughs) There's no aiming, Um, but you you do need to. You can get on the iPad, but it's a little bit harder to control. It's much easier on on the PS4. And there's something called Don't Starve Together, which is a co-op. But I've not played that. But Don't Starve Shipwreck. It's always like you're you're sort of going around gathering things on islands and, be, and and splashing around in boats and discovering other islands and trying to deal with the weather and storms and volcanoes erupting. And pretty much everything can kill you, and it's all about trying to stay alive. It's very difficult to stay alive. So, uh, <laughs> it's uh, like everything's only... trying to kill you, so it's, it's Australia yeah, everything... in a video game. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every kind of bush has a uh, has a potential snake in it. it really, I'm not joking. <laughs> you, get, you spend a long time running away from things. Yeah, it's, but it's, you don't have to aim. <laughs> okay, see, that's that's perfect. Yeah, you'll be yeah. all right. Yeah. I once tried to play Gears of War, and uh, I couldn't find the person I was trying to shoot at, and then it turned out that we were standing back to back. That's, I mean, that's my level. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, you'd be all right with Don't Stop Shipwrecked. <laughs> I think it'd be, it would be a good, good challenge. I think it does appeal to um, sort of uh, people that are like strategy and building and that kind of thing. Okay, cool. I do like those things. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> work here is done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. 